Hi, family. Welcome tonight to our midweek Bible study. I am so thankful that you've joined us. And, you know, just comment online. Let us know that you're here and you're worshiping with us this evening. I wanted to just talk to you for just a moment and say thank you for all of the encouragement that you have been to the pastors and myself. You know, this COVID-19 crisis or coronavirus, it has really demonstrated that our church is a strong and healthy church. It's a church that's doing ministry. It's a church that's worshiping God. We're gathering online. We're sharing. You're inviting people to come and worship with you, and they're sponsoring watch parties. And I am so very grateful that we have this opportunity like this to worship together. But I can't wait until we can come back together and worship on, not on, online continually, but we can worship together here at church. So this Sunday morning, I think it's appropriate on Pentecost Sunday this Sunday, I'm going to be speaking about how we come back together as a congregation to worship the Lord here in Down River or in Michigan. But tonight I want to direct you to the Word of God, and I just want to read to you from Philippians, the fourth chapter. The verse that I want to share with you is, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. If you're reading this with me, just say that out loud. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And even though this has been a challenging and a difficult time, I have talked with so many of you that you've just assured me you're full of the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse 5 says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. I think being considerate and being patient and kind towards our neighbors, towards those who are working, whether it's in a grocery store or in a hospital, we're so grateful for everyone and what they do. Stop and thank a police officer. Buy them a cup of coffee now that you can go through the, the drive through and just be considerate. But let everyone be see that you are considerate in all you do. And here's the reason. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. And that's the reason we put all of our efforts out to continue to share the gospel online, to minister to people, to, to be the church in our community. But verse 6 also says, and listen, this, I hope this ministers to somebody out there listening to me tonight, always, excuse me, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. You know, Worrying about the COVID-19 crisis, you know, frustrating yourself over it, that's not going to accomplish anything at all for you, your family, your health. Take every precaution. Take every precaution. Wear your face mask. Mine's with me tonight. And, you know, do the, you know, the separate six feet from one another. You know, wear the face mask so that you can protect other people. When you cough or when you sneeze or when you sing or talk, that's, that's, pointing things out, or that's projecting. So let's be considerate. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Do what you can, but pray about everything. Leave it in the hands of God. Then, the Bible says, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand, and He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's why so many of you have told me you've been able to share with your neighbors and your friends. You're not living in fear. You're not living in worry. You're taking precautions. You're being considerate. But the peace of God that passes all understanding is ruling our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So be sure and invite somebody to worship with us, sponsor a watch party, send out invitations, and then look for an email from me or a letter. It's going to be mailed on Friday. 
and it'll be mailed first class, so hopefully we'll, we'll all get it on Saturday if you don't have email, but look for an email from me, and if you haven't, you know, if you haven't given us your email or you're not receiving our emails, be sure that you, you contact us at office at woodland.church, office at woodland.church, and say, I want to be on the email list, and we will add your name if you're not getting our text messages. You know, if you didn't get a text message just a few moments ago letting you know in 12 minutes this service was going to be started, that means we don't have your cell phone number or your correct number to put you on the list, but let us know because we don't want to just spam your text box. Let us know that you want to receive our text or that you want to receive our emails, and I'll be emailing a letter out on Friday about how we're going to be gathering back together as a congregation. So look for that. Be praying for us. I'm so thankful for everybody who's worked to help make this possible. Well, also tonight, if you haven't yet given online, please go to woodland.church, www.woodland.church. Click the little uh, tag that says give, and be sure that you're tithing. Be sure you're giving in your offerings. Be sure and support missions and benevolence that our congregation, our church supports. Or if you want to, just take your cell phone, text 77977, keyword Woodland Church, and you can give right there over your phone tonight in a safe and secure way. And so help us do that and help us continue to minister. I'm so thankful for the support. I'm so thankful for people that tell me God has been supplying and providing their needs. Now listen to this. This is good news. On Wednesday, excuse me, this week, on Saturday, we're going to be picking up 150 boxes of food that we're going to be distributing. Most of that food is already spoken for. We're going to be distributing to those that are in need. But if you're in need tonight, let us know because we want to serve you and help you. And by the way, I need a cube truck to be able to go and get that uh, food with. If somebody has a cube truck and you would volunteer to go get that for us, if not, then we're just going to have to rent one to be able to go pick up all of that food. We have to go to, I think it's Lake Orion or something like that in Michigan to go pick that up, but we could sure use your help to get all that food and get it to people who really do need it. Well, join me in prayer tonight. We have a real special treat. You know Keith O'Connor. Keith is a former police officer from Taylor, Michigan. Keith is also <laughs> one of our tech guys just almost ran out of the building when he heard that. He's also a police, I mean, he's also a, produces the Bob Duco show for a Bob Duco online. And then he's also a member of our congregation here at Woodland. And tonight, Keith is going to be bringing a message about the mercy of God. So I want you to get ready. You're in for a real treat this evening. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we reach out to you with thanksgiving. We reach out to you with praise and worship in our hearts. We are so thankful, Lord, for how you've provided for everything that we need. We're so thankful that you have blessed our church, O oh Lord, to be in the position to serve and to minister to others, to be a part of many churches across this nation, Lord, and in our community that are reaching out. I pray blessings upon our sister congregations, Lord who are working so hard to share the gospel online and to share with others and to minister to those that are hurting and needy tonight. Father, we also want to say thank you this evening for the O'Connor family. Lord, we're so thankful for Keith and Christy and their children. We're so thankful for the call of God to preach the gospel that you put upon Keith's life. And now we ask you in the name of Jesus, would you just let that special touch of your hand rest upon him as he brings the word of God to us this evening.
for it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Well, the Lord bless you. Keith, come and share the word with us tonight. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so happy to be here tonight with you all. Um, and I know that uh, my family and I cannot wait until we come back and are able to worship with everybody out there. I read a story about a young soldier and a senior officer. And this young soldier was humiliated by his senior officer. The officer went way beyond what was acceptable behavior in disciplining the young soldier. The young officer, who was visibly upset about the discipline and what had happened, he clenched his teeth and he said, I will make you regret this if it's the last thing I will do. Several days later, their company was under heavy fire and the officer was wounded and he was cut off from the rest of his troops. Through the haze of the battlefield, he saw a figure coming to his rescue. It was the young soldier. This young soldier was risking his life and he was able to pull the officer to safety. The senior officer said apologetically to the young soldier, son, I owe you my life. And the young soldier just laughed and he said, I told you I'd make you regret humiliating me if it was the last thing I ever did. This scene is something that we kind of picture from a movie. How many times do we watch a movie and we see a villain and we think, I hope he gets what he deserves? Or even in real life, how many times have we watched the news and how many times have we seen something bad happen to a child or an elderly person or anybody? Or if something bad happens to a family member or a friend of ours? Many times our thoughts go to revenge or payback, but that's not God's kind of revenge. The young soldier in this story could have been justified in letting a senior officer die on the battlefield, but he didn't. He showed mercy to the senior officer. You see, justice is getting deserved punishment for something that we did wrong. And this senior officer definitely deserved justice for what he did to that young soldier. But mercy is what he got. Mercy is about pardon or compassion for an offense and not being punished when I deserve it. And so tonight I want to talk to you about mercy. I want to talk about God's mercy. And why? Because we have been given mercy by God that we should show mercy to others. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, we read, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. In these two verses, Paul puts right in front of our eyes God's great mercy and his love. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, before this verse, Paul describes our spiritual condition and our enslavement to sin. And here we see our human condition. We see that once we were dead spiritually because of our disobedience and our many sins. And we also read that we used to live in sin just like the world around us. Think about how you lived before you were a new creation in Christ. That's how the world wants us to live. And it says by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else. And then in verse 4, Paul writes, but God. Those two words will change your life. 
I know usually when we hear the word but, we usually think of it in a negative context. How many times have you gone to, a, to get your car fixed and the mechanic says, well, your car can be fixed, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or I remember when I was a kid and I wanted to go play with my friends or I wanted a new toy. And so I would go up to my parents and I would say, Mom, Dad, I want this brand new toy that they have. Or Mom, Dad, can I go play with my friend down the street? And of course they would always say, yes, you can go play with your friend or you can have that new toy, but you have to do your chores first. Or how about at work when we want to leave early or if you want to have an extra day off? And so we go to our boss and we ask them. And they say, yeah, we can give you the day off or you can uh, have that, you can leave early on that day, but you have to get all your work finished. So as you know, a lot of times we see that word but and we think of it negatively. And Paul here in the first three verses of Ephesians 2 is describing the extent of our spiritual deadness and the enslavement to sin that we had with our passions and according to our flesh. And he even says, it's by our very nature, we are this way. But then he says, but God. We see several wonderful but God moments in scripture. And I'll just give you a couple of them here. In Genesis 8, we read, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were in, in the, with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. In Genesis, when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and his father thought that his son was dead, as we continue to read Joseph's story, we see that Joseph is very much alive. And when his brothers find out that it's Joseph that's alive and in charge, Joseph said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In Psalm 20, 73, 26, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Matter of fact, over 45 times throughout the Bible, we see that phrase, but God. And we as followers of Christ have all had but God moments. In Romans 5, 8, it tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God has the power to intercept a person's life and radically change their future. And he does this through what I like to call but God moments. I want you to take a moment right now and just think about your moment. Think about your but God moment. Maybe it was when you had a family member or a friend who was out of control and you thought they're never going to change, but God. Maybe your life was spiraling completely out of control, but God. And maybe there was a time when you were absolutely hopeless and you thought that you messed everything up, but God. These two words, but God, may be the most hopeful words that we could ever say. These two words tell us that we have been saved only by God's mercy and grace. The Bible says that Satan comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. But God came so we can enjoy our lives. And but God is the moment when God intervenes 
And if we live by these words daily, they will change your life. Sometimes life is going one way and things seem kind of hopeless. But all of a sudden, a holy God intervenes and changes everything. In Ephesians 2.4, we see that not only is God merciful, but he is rich in mercy. We were rich in our sin. But only God, who is rich in mercy, who has more than enough mercy for you and I, and he can mercifully reach out to you and I and forgive us of our sins and give us the power to rebuild our lives and live for him. In Lamentations 3.22, we read, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Jeremiah was taught the truth of God throughout his life. He was rejected. He was ridiculed. And he fell into depression when he saw the destruction of Jerusalem. He wept and he mourned over what had happened to this beautiful city of God. But in his weeping and in his depression and in his sadness, Jeremiah had hope. He had hope because he took the focus off of himself and he set his eyes upon the Lord and he remembered that the Lord is faithful and he is merciful and his love never ends and it endures forever. We can do the same. Each and every one of us will face some type of trial. In these uncertain times, many of us are facing sickness and uncertainty. And our lives will take some twists and turns that we may not have planned. And it's in these times that we have to remember that there is mercy in the midst of it. And instead of focusing on the grief and the pain that we're experiencing, we can, like Jeremiah, take the focus off of ourselves and focus on God. And focus on the fact that we serve a great God. And that God is faithful. And he is merciful. And he has great compassion for every one of us. We were lifeless, hopeless, and under condemnation. But God came to our rescue. That's how much he loves us. So all throughout the word of God, we see that mercy is a characteristic of God. Every morning we can wake up and greet the mercies of God. Every day is a gift from God, and his mercies are new every morning. In Exodus 34, 6, says, God declared his name to Moses, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. So from the very beginning of his word, we see that God is a merciful God, but he's also gracious. He's slow to anger with abounding love and faithfulness. Our God is a God of mercy. We see the same mercy and love fulfilled in Jesus. John wrote in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we look at Exodus 34, 6 and John 1, 14 together, we see that God, who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, is fully revealed in Christ 
who is full of grace and truth. This is who our God is. And I'm thankful tonight for his mercy and his love. Theologian Wayne Grudem gave this definition of God's mercy. He says, God's goodness toward those who are in misery and distress. We see God's mercy all throughout the word of God, over and over again. Mercy is one of the most beautiful characteristics of God. In 1 Chronicles 21.13 and also in 2 Samuel 24.14, David said, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. David was crying out to God in distress. And this is when David was given a choice for his punishment. He wanted to fall into the hand of the Lord because he knew that Israel would either be under the mercy of the famine and attacked by their enemies, or they would be under the mercy of God. And David knew that God was far more merciful than man is. And we can rest in that truth today. In Psalm 103.8, it describes God as being rich in mercy and faithful love. In Micah 7.18, we read, who is, God, who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We see that God delights in faithful love because he is merciful. God delights to show mercy. He does not forgive reluctantly, but he is glad when we repent and he offers forgiveness to anyone who comes to him. God opens his hand of mercy to all who will receive it. Paul wrote about God's mercy as well in his life. And because of God's mercy, this Pharisee, who hunted and brutally killed followers of Christ, became one of the greatest apostles. He wrote in 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, God mercifully intervened in Paul's life and transformed him into being one of the most vital leaders in the Christian church. God can change us and transform us no matter who we are or what we've done. And it's through that transformation in our lives that people can see all that God has done. And so because our God is a God of mercy, we as passionate followers of Christ should show mercy to others because God calls us to show mercy. Everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And it says, One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses said? Have you read it? We see this often today. Many people are asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? But we know that we cannot work our way to heaven. 
And so this man that Jesus was speaking with was a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer like we think of today. He was an expert on the law. It was his job to know God's law and know how to apply the law daily in his life. So Jesus knew exactly who he was talking to here. Jesus is turning the question back to this man because he wants him to dive deep into his own expertise. And Jesus was pointing this religious man to the word of God for his answer. And it goes on to say, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Jesus told the man that he was correct in his answer. And Jesus here was touching this man at the core because he knew that he was not fulfilling the law of God completely and he was just talking a good game. In verse 29 it says, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I don't think this man was being hostile towards Jesus. I just think he was trying to find some type of loophole in the law because he wanted to know how far he was to take this whole love your neighbor thing because he knew there were some people who would be considered his neighbor that he didn't want to love. As they were talking, I'm sure this man was thinking about all the people around him who would be considered his neighbor, his fellow Jew, the Samaritans, the Romans. So this man is trying to limit the word neighbor to only mean the ones that he wanted to love. And so Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and let him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, and he looked at them lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So then Jesus said to him, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? And the man replied, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Now there's a couple quick points here. I could probably preach a whole series of sermons on this Good Samaritan parable. But there's a couple points here that I want to enlighten on. So the priest and the temple assistant who walked by this Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead walked right by him. These were the religious men of the day and the teachers of the law. I mean, if anybody should have stopped, it should have been them. But these guys ignored him. One of them even walked around the other side of the road and walked by. 
and they both failed to show compassion to this injured man. But then we see the Samaritan, who we, who we know was despised by the Jewish people. So much so that this man, when Jesus was talking to him, this man could not even bring it to himself to say it was the Samaritan who showed mercy. He said, it was that man that showed mercy. So Jesus is drawing a contrast here between those who knew the law and those who followed the law with their lifestyle and their conduct. So who are you going to be like? Are you going to be the one who beat up the man? Are you going to be the one who passes up those who need mercy? Or the one who takes time to show mercy and compassion to those who are in need of it, no matter who they are or where they come from? In this parable, Jesus says mercy has two parts. In Luke 10, we see that first, there's a tenderness of heart. And then secondly, in Luke 10, 34, we see that there's action. We also see here that we are to love others, no matter who they are or what they're doing. And we're to set aside our prejudice and show love, compassion, and mercy to others. Because our neighbor is anyone that we encounter. When we have the tenderness of heart and have compassion and mercy for others and we put it into action, the word of God promises us that when we show mercy, we will be blessed. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is a God-like characteristic that is in the heart and mind of every born-again believer. This is how we show that we're passionate followers of Christ, by having a heart that's full of mercy. Mercy is also a Christ-like quality. In Jude 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. We are to have Christ's way of looking at people with a heart of compassion and mercy. Pastor Adrian Rogers once said, mercy is not just mere sentiment. Mercy is compassion in action. It's one thing to look at someone with compassion and mercy, but it's another thing to show someone compassion and mercy. We've been shown compassion and mercy, and so we must live our lives showing mercy to others. There's several ways that we can show mercy being compassion in action. We can help those in our community and our neighborhoods. We can check on those who are elderly or shut in to make sure that they have food and clothing. We can mow their grass or shovel their snow. You can sign up to tutor children with their homework or, so, or sign up to volunteer in one of our great outreach ministries here at Woodland, feeding the poor, cleaning up around the community. You can be a good listener to those who don't have anybody to hear them. We can also put mercy into action by forgiving those, even those we don't think deserve forgiveness. So in the Good Samaritan parable, we saw compassion in action. The man who was robbed, beaten, and left for dead couldn't help himself until the Samaritan came along and put mercy and compassion into action. 
We also see compassion in action with Joseph. Joseph showed mercy to his brothers and put that mercy into action. How many of us, when we read the story of Joseph, couldn't wait until his brothers got the justice that they deserved by the way that they treated him? But Joseph, as we know, was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He had many ups and downs, but it was by the grace of God that Joseph was put in command 22 years later when there was a great famine in the land. His brothers had to come to him to get their portion of food. They were completely oblivious to the fact that the man who was in charge, the one who they were speaking to, was their brother Joseph. Joseph was able to show mercy to his brothers. He was able to forgive his brothers in his heart, and he was able to see a greater purpose in all that happened to him. Knowing that his brothers, what his brothers did had an evil intent behind it, but God had a sovereign purpose for this. And Joseph was able to tell his brothers in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 21, don't be afraid, am I God, that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Joseph showed that mercy is compassion in action. Jesus' greatest act of mercy was on the cross. The greatest act of mercy that God ever demonstrated was to send his son to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus freely gave his life because we are a needy people and our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin. In Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God showed us his great love for us, by sending Christ to die for our sins while we are still sinners. So the justice of God says that sin must be punished. And when we cry out for mercy, he being a God of mercy, provides that mercy through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is mercy. And that is good news. On the cross, Christ took the punishment for our sin upon himself. He stood in for us. He had mercy on us. Because we were a needy people. He moved with compassion and through his mercy for us on the cross, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. And you too tonight can have that assurance. Max Lucado put it beautifully. He said, Our Savior kneels down and gazes upon the darkest acts of our lives, but rather than recoil in horror, he reaches out in kindness and says, I can clean that if you want. And from the basin of his grace, he scoops a palm of mercy and washes away our sin. I am so thankful for that. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior, God washes our sins away, placing the weight of our sins on Jesus. He places our sin debt on his own son 
and declares us righteous. As pastor said last Sunday, we can cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. We see this many times in the word of God, and we're all blind beggars when we stand before a righteous and merciful God. It is God who opened up our eyes and we can truly see our condition that we're in when we stand before him. And it is God, through his son, Jesus Christ, that we can come to him and ask for mercy. It is when we truly see our spiritual condition that we can see our need for Jesus Christ. I'd like to end with a story about Robert Robinson. He'd been saved out of a life of sin through George Whitfield's ministry in England. And shortly after that, at the age of 23, Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Streams of Mercy Never Ceasing. Sadly, there's a story about him that says that Robinson wandered far away from those streams. And like the prodigal son, he journeyed into a life of carnality. One day, he was traveling by stagecoach, and he was sitting beside a young woman who was engrossed in her book. And she ran across a verse that she thought was beautiful. And she asked Robinson what he thought of it. And she said, prone to wander, Lord. I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Bursting into tears, Robinson said, Madam, I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn years ago. And I would give a thousand words if I could enjoy the feelings I had then. Although greatly surprised, she reassured him, that the streams of mercy mentioned in his song still flowed. Mr. Robinson was deeply touched and turning his wandering heart to the Lord, he was restored to full fellowship. My friends, God's mercy is never too far away from us. No matter what we've done in our past, no matter who we are, we can rely on God to strengthen us and to help us fix our eyes and our minds on him. If you haven't asked God to take complete control of your life, there's still time. No one is too far away from God's mercy. Amen. Thank you, Keith. I am so thankful for that message that you preached tonight. And um, you ought to feel free to play that one on WMUZ anytime. That was a great word from the Lord. You know, tonight I want to pray with you, but I want you to know I've been praying that prayer that we discussed on Sunday morning Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. But when you read that passage this evening, Keith, from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, I just got to read that one more time. You ought to mark this, highlight this in your Bible. If it's not a life verse, write it down in the front of your Bible. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. That includes you, my friend. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And your pastor, along with the Apostle Paul, says, I was the worst of them all. Well, let's pray together. If you're where you can, you're at home, stand with me right now. And let's pray this evening. Let's give God thanks for his mercy. Let's give God thanks for his love. And I want to pray for you this evening. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, right now, if you've just tuned in, and I don't know who all is watching with us, but you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose and the sovereignty of God, that God wants to touch you. God wants to fill your heart with faith and love. 
And Jesus Christ came to save you, and he came to save me from all of our sins. So let's agree right now, now together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the mercy and the grace of God. I think about Mary Cruz who told me, I'm the first, you're the first one, Pastor, that's ever told me that Jesus loved me. And I'm so thankful that Mary crossed the line and gave her heart to you and became a brand new creature in Christ. I'm so thankful that one day I will see this woman in heaven, Lord. I'm so thankful for the saving grace of Jesus. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you heard my prayer when I cried out to you on January the 18th, 1972, and said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart, Lord. And so I pray for those that might be praying with me tonight, Lord, and I hope there's someone out there that would just simply say, just pray this with all of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then trust him to forgive you. Trust him to come into your heart. Trust him to make a brand new person out of you. And I want to pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you let them have that wonderful experience of love and faith and joy about the mercy of God that Keith preached about this evening. Lord, let it rest in their hearts and be so strong and real in them. Bless Keith, bless his family and all that pertain to him, and bless all of those out there tonight who are merciful, Lord. They're showing your compassion, compassion in action. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.